Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, don't the trees look like crucified thieves, drug and wine and flattering light, playing solitaire with a pearl-handled deck, and don't it make you want to rock and roll? West Hollywood, I names, but she really me over good, she was just like Jesse James. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new year. New year. Good evening, everybody. You got your Canadian dry there, Joe. Well, yeah. Pretend like. As, uh, As you can tell, tonight... Tony Slagle, that is me. I am your host. Welcome to This is Vinyl Tap, Hapsters and new listeners. The first uh, uh, Vinyl Tap of the new, new year. year. First 20, recording of the new 2023. year. 2023. That's correct. And I, as always, I'm joined in Vinyl Tap headquarters, a.k.a. the Vinegar Rune Saloon, by our host, tip normal host, except for tonight, Doug Cooper. Ho, ho. And our very, very humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Happy New Year, Tapsters. Tonight we are talking about an album that was released in 1976. Uh, a little bit of confusion. A lot of people think it's his uh, debut album, but it isn't. This is a 1976 album by Warren Zevon, titled Warren Zevon. They probably want to believe it's his debut album. Right. Yes, I think he, lots of people would like to believe Correct. It. He did have an album before this that was released in 1970 called Wanted, Dead or Alive, and we'll get to that later shortly. on shortly. But this is the album we're doing tonight, Warren Zevon by Warren Zevon. And so... Before we get into things, I just want to ask you guys, just briefly, since this is not a Doug pick, correct? Correct. This Could is have been. A jam pick, correct? Uh, it. This probably would not be the album I would have chosen, but we would have done it Roar and Zevon. Yes, if I... And, and since I'm fairly, very, fairly shallow in my knowledge of Warren Zevon, this is not a my pick. This is, in fact, a listener's pick, and so uh, I can't ask the question we normally ask, which is why did you pick this, but I will ask you guys, what's your, since you are Warren Zevon aficionados, if you will, what's your history with him and with this album? Doug, I'll go to you first. I remember he was on the radio a lot, and uh, I was also a Linda Ronstadt fan, so I knew all of the songs. She covered a bunch of his songs and did a really good job with four off of this album. That's right. So I was kind of poking around looking for some kind of robust husky singer like Springsteen, and uh, I said, "Yeah, he's he's kind of like Springsteen." Um, (laughs) And now you know he's so different than Springsteen, (laughs) other than the fact 
you can when they sing together, yeah. you can tell how they're alike. But he's really more of a yeah. He's I don't want to put him in the West Coast still too deeply, but he's he's his songwriting is more like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't want to I don't want to get him too too wrapped up in Jackson Brown or the Eagles, but yeah. well, I mean, it's were, more like that than Jersey sound. Yeah. There were other people as part of that. And we'll, I, I did, well, I'll go to you first and then we'll circle back to that. I'll go to you first, uh, JM about that. What's your, I'd like to know your kind of history. With yeah. Mine's a little bit more circuitous. I remember werewolves of London and thought that was a pretty funny song, but, and I, I knew poor, poor pitiful me. I can't remember where I heard lawyers, guns and money. What a great song. Yeah. It's a I great know song, but there's one time when we heard it and this is a fantastic story. JM and I grew up at the same camp. And there was a person there who sometimes made poor decisions. <laughs> and he was on a day off, and he decided it'd be fun to shoot highway signs on the way back on his day off. And he did that. And then he started being followed by law enforcement. And we're talking about four different law enforcement agencies. Yeah, uh, you got the county, you got, the, got the county, um, you got the game wardens. So he comes driving down <laughs> this serpentine road that led to the camp and he pulled up to the camp dance that we had on tennis courts uh-huh. and he's he's got five or six uh officers of the law following him with their cherry tops and you going. had to go through a, a river to get there i mean it, it's it you know you could drive so you, through the you, river you but you played it's, the song yeah. so when he when he got out of his car, the guy playing music put on uh, lawyers, <laughs> guns, and money, yeah, and hilarious. it was the most appropriate thing I've ever seen in my entire that life. So funny. He went and spent the night in jail in Lakey, Texas, yeah. that night. Yeah, so funny. So, so uh, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, do not shoot uh, yeah, don't street. Shoot, shoot, uh, they don't signs. care about the signs, but they think you're shooting deer, and that yeah. gets them mad. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that, that, <laughs> I, I was aware of that song, and then uh, you know I just kind of I didn't really pay much attention to Warren Zevon after that. He would show up on David Letterman every now and then. I go, oh, that's kind of cool. But then there was an album that he did with uh, members of REM, the the Hindu Love Gods, right? And I think I started listening to that, and and it, it was I was a reporter for the school newspaper, and I we had to review that album, and I just fell in love with it. I thought it was incredible. Doesn't that have? Um... Raspberry Beret. He's that got was a Raspberry big hit on it, right? Beret on it, and hit their version of it is fantastic. Yeah. And they just did some really cool songs. And uh, I always thought Warren Zevon was a pianist. I didn't know he played guitar, but he plays excellent guitar on that album. But then, so that came out, and then right after that, I, I think there was an album that came out around that time called Sentimental Hygiene, mm-hmm. and it had members of REM on it. It had a bunch of other, like I think uh, Neil Young was on it. There was oh good, it, yeah. Uh, there's Who? a bunch Neil of, Young. Yeah. Neil Young. We'll repeat, repeat his name several times. <laughs> Neil Young. So we'll he, have to type that yeah, in. Have to type the, yeah, uh, that's got to be a pound. What are, what are those called? Pound Neil Young. Um, <laughs> so I and there was a song on there called uh, "Reconsider Me," and I always that song just resonated with me so much. And I don't exactly know. It, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek song, but there, there's. I remember hearing that and just going, this is a really good album. Did you try that line on Assorted Chicks over the years? <laughs> it didn't, didn't After really work out so out. well. But uh, the whole album is really good. It's got Boom Boom, uh, Detox Mansion, which is, that was the first album he did when after he'd sobered up. Um, 
and so there, there's it's kind of an angry album. But anyway, I just remember <laughs> that that just kind of got me into getting into uh, Warren Zevon. And I, after that, I, I just became kind of a fan, and I started going back through his catalog and about Excitable Boy, and you know, right his last album, The Wind, and I've got a couple other albums by. by there's him. probably uh, a lot of people who are going to wonder why we did this one instead of Excitable Boy. Yeah, and well, we I we, think this one just is a little bit better. Well, we were told to do this one. Yeah, but I, I think this one's just a little bit better. Although Excitable Boy's a very think, fun album. I also yeah. think it fits our mo to mm-hmm. yeah, it does. I yeah. mean, we tend to lean towards albums that. Or first, or a change, or yeah. or just a little interesting to talk about because they haven't been talked to death. Yeah, you Excitable know? Boy and this album could have been a double album. They could have. So, they yeah. could have. Uh, it's funny, as I said, I I don't have the depth of knowledge of this guy as I did prior to listening to this album, but I I was a huge Letterman fan, so I knew of him from that, mm-hmm. and was always impressed by his. I think their humor's the yeah. same. Yeah. 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 And they were really good friends. And I think that's what attracted Letterman to him was his sense of humor. And that we'll get into that. But Z, he was friends. songs yeah, yeah. are... And he used to substitute for Paul. He shit. did. He would, play, he would be the band leader from time to time. I, I, it, have, I never saw that. I would like to see oh, His good. songs are full of d- dark... Dark humor, humor. <laughs> dark humor. That's one. Yeah, he. That's one thing that sets him apart from a lot of these California guys. It's like there's not a lot of earnestness in his songs. Now there are there are parts that there are times when there, I, there so, are, but he's he's not bathing in self examination and yeah. romance. He yeah. he isn't. He's autobiographical, but it's it's sort of. Um, I don't he's, know. It's, he's not his own friend in his songs. No, he's not. He's not like he's not sympathetic with but himself the way Jackson Brown is. I wanted yeah. to get back. I wanted to get back to something you said about, and we'll talk. We're going to get into the California sound in a minute. I want to ask you guys about that, but I just did briefly want to talk about when you were saying you don't want to talk about Jackson Brown and the Eagles. I mean, he was on Asylum, and Asylum had also had the Eagles. Well, but they also had Tom Waits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who I think maybe yeah. he fits in a little bit more. Yeah, with that's that. what's so strange is that those two never never got, bumped into each other yeah, and, and never became friends. And, and when you talked about Jackson Brown's kind of self-reflective, almost self-indulgent things, I read something about Asylum that I thought was really funny. They called it the uh, the someone called it the. Uh, the musical embodiment of the me decade, that, that label, <laughs> which I thought was actually kind of spot on. It is um, pretty spot on, yeah. But there's not, I mean, I think we would all agree, There's, if it hadn't been for David Geffen and Asylum, and we'll get into that a little bit more, this guy wouldn't have got had a second chance after his first album. No. At the same time... And Jackson Brown. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. no, Jackson Brown, but... It's but, huge in his... Uh, well, there's yeah. like almost everybody that ever... He's like a musician's musician, or a songwriter's no, songwriter. Right? I, I think you're absolutely right. A musician's musician is a perfect... He's he's like one of those guys that musicians love, and because of that, he gets he get, has legs. Like or he has legs. dirt on every single person. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I, I got in my notes here. One of the he does so well is he assembles an all-star cast. And it's you know a lot of times when an all star cast is, is he assembling them or are they being assembled? I for don't him? know, but when, but he uses them to it's, most of the time when you hear those guys like guest artists so and so is on this album, it sounds like I mean it's a bunch of people trying to walk onto a stage door, you know, like a bunch of stars trying to walk onto the stage door at the same time. They're all trying to just hey let's show off as much as we can and whatever's going on, whatever Warren Zevon does, he 
tones that down to where it gets to the essence of what makes them good. I think it's simpler than that. I think that, and we've talked about this before, I think the atmosphere around that label was people just played, they just, it was just like a big sort of jam session. People did that kind of stuff. I think you're right. Yeah, that's a good And I think that 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 had, I think that had a lot to do with this. I'm not saying, I mean, as you said, he's a musician, he's a musician. I think everyone that's on this album really liked this guy and wanted to help him out. It seems like that. He's at the end of this period where Everything has matured. Mm-hmm. That whole yeah. California deal has all come to... This is 76, right? Right. Same yeah. year as Hotel California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing, it's not in its nascent earlier parts. It's all... Everybody's made it. Jackson Brown's made it. Uh, Linda Ronsett's <coughs> made it. The Eagles are the largest band in the yeah, world. Fleetwood Mac's about to... Earn. Fleetwood Mac just had rumors. So, so No, they, didn't, they, were, they just had Fleetwood Mac. Let's... Well, yeah. Let's, the, the second Fleetwood Mac. Let's yeah. talk about that though, and and we'll get into. And I think it's an easy way to slide into connections, as well. Let's <laughs> let's talk about this Southern California sound. How would you guys describe at this point of its? Because when you look at the California sound, people talk about it. You know about the '60s, the Beach Boys, and then they talk about what happens in this in the late '60s with the Birds and Buffalo Springfield. But how would you guys describe what's going on with this version of the California sound that is? The, I mean, the main reason he's lumped into it is the guys who play, guys on, this play on this album. Yeah. So, what would you, what would you guys, how would you describe it? Well, I think the way that Doug described it at the end, this is the end of that that California sound. I don't know if it really. I don't went, think it's the end. I think it's it's a gradual. It it's just hit a peak. It's hit its peak, and it's but it's starting to become desperate. It's starting to be to become like Fleetwood Mac's going to sound different than the Eagles. Um, Jack uh, Linda Ronstadt is going to sound different than you know. What well, do you put the Fleetwood Mac in the California sound? I I don't. I put rumors in that in the California sound. I think I, I think there's. I, I could see that parts of it. Yeah, I could um, see that. You know the. If you look on a lot of albums that were coming out after 1975, 76, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are on a whole mm-hmm. bunch of them. And I think including this one, yeah, including this one. And but yeah, going back to the, the actuals, it's the blending of acoustic guitars and electric guitars. And this, it's not very bluesy, it's not very bluesy. It's more, it's folksy, but not quite country, more folksy than country. I would say, I'd say there's more James Taylor than uh, you know, Conway Twitty or lots of <laughs> harmonies, lots of harmonies, lots of harmonies, not, not frequently very. Hard. It's it's usually something that could be played on adult contemporary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which sounds like an insult, but it's it's not. And it seems to me like the drums and bass almost always sound mixed exactly the same. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so like the the bass is except there's exceptions on this album, but the bass is usually not funky, and the drums are, are a lot of times just. Like I think tumble. it's really white music. Yeah, it's about as white as you can get. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as white as Rush <laughs> <laughs> or Marillion. Yeah, Prague is as white as you. can Yeah, get. there is this not is a whole. There's not a whole lot of soul in in that, that music. And that's not necessarily disparaging. Except for Muhammad's it. radio. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's since we talked about the Caliber Sound and the players on this album sort of being responsible for why it's part of it, let's go ahead and slide into. Connections. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. 
It only took 17 people to write this song. <laughs> All right, that's so. pretty California sound. <laughs> We're gonna, let's Bad get to, California. Let's sound. get to some easy ones. I'm going to start with you, Doug. <laughs> the easiest connection. Well, Jackson Brown is the easiest connection. That's the easiest connection. And how is Jackson Brown connected to a previous podcast? <laughs> He's connected uh, many times to previous com- podcasts, but we did we did the album Forever Man. Forever Man. Right. He produced this record. He sings on this record. Plays guitar. He does it. Uh huh. Yep. That's brave. I wouldn't play guitar on this record. He plays slide on a song or two. Does he really? I wouldn't touch a slide guitar with uh, (laughs) David Lindley in the room. Actually, it's not bad. Is that there? Yeah. Uh, David Lindley's on this album, Uh which is Jackson Brown's, uh, half of Jackson Brown's sound. What's her name? Uh, Rosie. Rose, Butler, uh-huh. Rosie Butler. The, the fantastic singer that Jackson Brown uses on, I think she first showed up on uh, Running on Empty and then just blew it away. She's the one that sings Stay, where she does that great solo, yeah. and then David Lindley does the facade of yeah. solo after her. Uh, Jam, do you want to talk about any connections? Uh, okay, speaking of David Lindley, he's on this, playing banjo, slide guitar, fiddle. All sorts of yeah, he's he's kind of the right hand man. He was actually Jackson Brown's right hand man. And I think he just kind of he's extremely talented and plays all those instruments. But you notice which one he doesn't play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be bass. Yeah, <laughs> there's two guys I want to talk about talked about before, but they're unsung. Waddy Wachtel, great guitar player, very good session player. His guitar work on this is phenomenal. And one of the things that I've heard about Waddy Wachtel is this time he was getting lumped into that California, like he played with like Carly Simon and Linda Ronstadt. He never really got to jam. And I heard on this album, he really got to stretch and he was having a, a ball playing guitar on this. So, And, and it, think how easy it was for him when Linda would play covers. <laughs> he already knew all the songs. He already knew all the songs, yeah. <laughs> and then another guy named Bob Glob, fantastic bass player. We've talked about him before, but he was, he's kind of synonymous you know, you got Kenny Edwards and you got Bob Glob. The two of those guys are probably the most synonymous with um, the California sound. Bob Glob's played with Jackson Brown, played with Linda Ronstadt, played with the Everly Brothers. He has just played with so many people. And I saw him play with Jackson Brown one time. It was it was fantastic. J.D. Souther. Yep. He's connected to uh, the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt, Linda Ronstadt and Ronstadt. Jackson Brown. Yeah. The Eagles. Well, at least two of them, Glenn Fry and... Uh, Don Henley are on this, and we yeah. talked about them on our most overrated <laughs> album podcast. <laughs> I forgot. That. And we That's, also talked about them on the uh, on the Jackson Linda, Brown on yeah. the Linda Ronstadt and Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. They they came out of Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> Here's a, yeah, guess what? They sing harmony on this album. Yeah. And yeah, well, when we get to that song, it's obvious. <laughs> it's it's that's how you know that he doesn't fit into the California sound as well as some of the others because. That's a mismatch. Yeah. Okay. And there's a couple of connections I want to get to, but they're I think they're better to talk about as the story unfolds. Are you going to talk got, about got, the Nielsen connection? Oh, I can say that one. That one's a, that was an easy one. So that's he, an interesting one. Or he wrote a song that was on the Midnight Cowboy soundtrack, a song called "He Quit Me," which I will play a little bit of right now.
And that was sung by Leslie Miller for the, like I said, in 1969 for the Midnight Cowboy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So got a little bit, of, got a little bit of uh, recognition from that. And speaking of Harry Nelson, one of the sax players on this was, oh yeah, he, Bob Keys. And he played, Stone. and he played with Harry Nielsen later, later than the album we talked about. I think he's his first. Yeah, but he played. Is on did he play with uh, Dave Mason? He did it with some. It seems like it. He was he was on XL on Main Street yeah. and Sticky Fingers. Yeah, and, he was on, uh, he was on he was Nielsen Smielsen. I think it was the first Nielsen album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's some album that we did. He's, he's Mick on. Jagger's best man at Mick Jagger's wedding. Wedding, yeah. and I don't know how many weddings Mick Jagger has, but <laughs> I do know he got fired because he filled up a bathtub with Dom Perignon champagne and spent the entire tour's uh, <laughs> money on that. And Mick Jagger, who... He's from Texas. Who, Texas yeah, that's a Texas connection. He's a Lubbock boy. Well, he's actually... Don um, Henley's on this, too. He's also Stat- from Texas. Stratford. Do we claim Stratford, him? that's right. Do we claim Don Henley? He's from Lone Star, which I've never been to before. Huh? Stafford is a place where you can imagine a kid learning to play the saxophone because there would be nothing else to do. <laughs> That's on the way to Lubbock. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember hitting that part of my drive to Amarillo thinking, oh, God, here's yeah. the stretch. So uh, safe to say it's pretty much a who's who of the California sound at this time, I claimed on this, yeah, the backing musicians. If and, we keep talking, we're going to bump into more because they just don't stop. Yeah. Okay. So do we want to get into a little bit of his background? I think uh, almost more than anybody we've talked about, Warren Zevon's background is pretty fascinating <laughs> i mean it's, harry, harry um, nielsen was close in terms of the weird stuff he did and his weird connections but this one's pretty this might be too. the um, if if somebody wrote this in a in a netflix quickly produced what, what do they call those things where you have to keep binge watching them they did series what well, i don't know what they're called but my my wife's in there watching one right now where it goes on for 20 episodes. Mm-hmm. If this was one of those, you'd say, this is too much. That Y'all went over the top with this. It's it's cute, but just too much. A mother who was LDS, uh, Latter-day Saints, for those people outside the United States, that's a Mormon. Yeah, that is a uh, sect in the United States that I guess is getting some traction in Latin America, but it's... it's um, pretty far out there and they're very very strict yes um so she yeah and it's the reason he's mentioning strict is who she ends up marrying (laughs) there's a guy who's a guy named williams yvonne he's middle-aged i think she was fairly young at the time he's a middle-aged russian jewish immigrant and a mobster (laughs) and it everybody also says he's from ukraine okay so more than any time in our history, it's important to distinguish between those two countries. <laughs> That's right, and I, I I saw Russian, but that was from a that was from something that was written but it, fairly long so, ago. Yeah, so yeah, not only was they he could a, have confused it with the Soviet Union. He was a Chicago mob. They were, he, he was, was born in Chicago. He was, he was born Chicago in Chicago in forty seven. So yeah. yeah, he was. Well, he was he was he was a mobster in Chicago, but he had connections to Mickey Cohen, who was an L.A. mobster. And not only did he have connections to him. He was the best man at his wedding. I did not know yep. that. Yep. Wow. The so, last time we dealt with the lobster, um, a lobster, a mobster. <laughs> last was, time we uh, dealt, dealt with a lobster was when we were thinking about doing a B-52 sound. Yeah. <laughs> was it a lobster? <laughs> uh, we were... Uh, a rock lobster. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we had uh, Servio um, yeah. when we did Little Steven. Little Steven, yeah. That was fake mob. 
Yeah, but this yeah, is, he, this is real. Mom. This is real. Bob. He ends up because of his connection to Mickey Cohen, and I didn't know he's his best man. It's pretty interesting. They moved. They end up moving to Fresno, California, when he's pretty young, and then they end up settling in L.A. Um, he's running gambling operations. Yeah, he's he's a bookie. Yeah, he's a gambler and a bookie, which I don't know how that works out. If I don't you're know either. Doing yeah. Both yeah. seems like not. You have to that's divide it. <laughs> you have your odd number days and your it's even like number days. Like being a drug dealer, but the. When while they're in California at thirteen, Warren Zevon starts studying music with a guy named Robert Kraft, who was a conductor and a longtime professional associate with of e- Igor Stravinsky. <laughs> so he so met Igor Stravinsky. He's, he's learning how to play music in Igor Stravinsky's house. Yeah, Igor Stravinsky was not the. He was atonal. It wasn't real pretty music that he wrote. JM's probably got his whole entire connection. <laughs> well, the, the easiest way to uh, understand. Uh, Stravinsky is on Yes Minister, the British sitcom. Uh-huh. <laughs> if the they said, "What if I just want to? What if I want to be daring?" And I said, "Oh, we'll play Bach because <laughs> that will settle everybody and calm them down." And he goes, "What if I want to play it safe and my speech doesn't have anything uh, new in it?" And go, oh, well, there's Stravinsky because wow. it'll make whatever you say sound like it's bold and new. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, if you so haven't seen Yes Minister yeah, or Yes Prime show. Minister, ladies and gentlemen, you need to go Fantastic watch that right show, now yes, as soon as you quit listening and, to uh, us. But The Rite of Spring is probably what he's best known for, and it has caused riots in the street of Paris when it was first. <laughs> it's I mean, so hard to do. Say. Yeah. Yeah, they, the wind blows and they ride in Paris. <laughs> well, I'd like to apologize to all. Well, we don't have any listeners in France. We had that one guy, and I think he left. Yeah. <laughs> Who was in that little town outside oh, Paris? Right. Early one on. of our first There's listeners. Nothing to, yeah, nothing to uh, revolt to. He was studying to be a a full on classical composer, yeah. and yeah, which is surprising when you're his. Well, it's not surprising when you hear some of his music, but it, well, you listen to his piano playing; it's more complex than uh, right. than you expect to hear on albums like this. Yeah. But then he decides to drop out of high school, and move to New York, to become a folky. <laughs> I guess is what you did back then. I guess, I yeah, know. yeah. We've but, gone down that road a number of times before, yeah. right? It didn't really work out. No, it didn't. But he he bandied about. He uh, became a uh, jingle writer. Yeah, that's a little bit later on. He yeah. he he ends up moving back to. California and hooking up with a woman by the name of Violet um, Stand. Oh gosh, Stantangelo. Oh yeah, Violet yeah. Stantangelo, and they form a band called Lime and Sib. Sibel. Sibel. Yeah. yeah, they had met in high school earlier. I, I'm not sure why Warren Zevon changes his name to Stephen Lime, and uh, <laughs> and as we said, uh, Santangelo calls herself Sibel. And uh, and they spell their name in all lowercase if that's not pretentious enough. Like, so the Cummings fans, yes. yeah, they were e. E. Cummings fans. But they wrote they did have a minor hit with a song called "Follow Me," which reached number sixty five on the Follow Billboard me Billboard Pop Charts. I go, who I know. I'm gonna play a bit of that <laughs> if Doug can, can. I didn't know stop. Jackson. I mean, John Denver covered that. Anyway, I like that. I do too. It was that on, sounds like airplane. 
It, it does was on, sound like airplane. It was on white on the white whale label, which it should was, have been on the white rabbit label. <laughs> it was on the white whale label, which was also the label that the the, the turtles were on. Yeah, so they, the turtles were big fans, and I'm guessing because they were on the same label. So there's an interesting story about them that uh, is kind of funny. They wanted to give him a break, so they put a couple of his songs on the B sides of a couple of their singles. But the the funny the funnier story is, is they they released a song on a, on one of their singles a b-side on one of their singles called like the season and that song the the a-side didn't do super well it hit uh, i think it hit number 89 or something and so they felt bad about it and so they put that same recording on the b-side of happy together which uh <laughs> was a monster hit it's the song that knocked penny lane off of number wow. one in the u.s so warren zevon it was Warren's Yvonne penned song by the Turtles is on the B side of the Turtles' biggest hit. And I'll play you a little bit of that song. This is Like a Season by the Turtles, written by Warren's Yvonne. And I know you had to go, you've got your reasons. Still, I wish you'd stay. Tell me why you're Anyway, that obviously ends up making Warren Zevon a little bit of cash <laughs> because he's on the number one, his song's on yep. the number and one And he probably single. drank it away right away. Well, and that's when he ends up around the same time becoming a jingle writer. Yeah. And he was fairly successful. Um, it, did y'all notice this pattern of everybody tripping over themselves trying to help out Warren Zevon? I don't think we've ever talked about anyone who had more people in all parts of his career the beginning the middle and the end when he's about to die he's got people all around him trying to to do what they can to help him yeah and 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 the sad thing was at least at this part of his life uh, most of the things that happened to him are self-inflicted self-inflicted yeah, yeah. He, like goes, he like he was, for me. he was making decent <laughs> decent money as a jingle writer, and he got he he says he eventually wrote some lyrics that the agency found offensive, so they fired him for insubordination. <laughs> so he's out of a job there. Imagine how long he would last now. Yeah, exactly. So well, you can imagine this is a guy. This is a guy whose sense of humor, yeah, it, leans towards as we said earlier the dark side of things. So, yeah. and we'll um, get to this later. But he his the people that became his best friends kind of early on were not like the happiest people in the world, like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Authors. A lot of authors, a lot of writers. To, um, if he had... Oh, the guy that wrote Thompson Headless, uh, Roland the Headless uh, Thompson Gunner, was he was actually living with a Vietnam vet or a Korean vet or something who helped him write that <coughs> song, who actually that helped him... Told him, told the him the story. Yeah, I think he gets co-credit on that song. He ends up getting a deal, a record deal, and he and he records his first solo album, "Wanted Dead or Alive" for Imperial Records. It was partially produced by Kim Fowley, who left because uh, he found Warren Zevon a little too difficult to work with. <laughs> the story Kim Fowley tells is that Warren Zevon was evidently a germaphobe, so I think he came in and said he had like meningitis or hep C or something Kim Foley did and Warren Zevon's like get the hell out of here and that was it and he took his name off the album because he's like I you know the guy didn't we didn't get along he didn't like me I'm whatever so he didn't get production credit for it I'm gonna play you play you (laughs) how was he was he heartbroken (laughs) yeah I'm gonna play you uh the title track off of that album I am 
Sounds like a uh, bad Jethro Tull. <laughs> uh, it's not good anything. It's not a very good album, and uh, and it was sales were poor. It was ignored by critics, and uh, it warns Yvonne in his in his uh, humorous way of putting it says it was re- released to the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> <laughs> very zen. Yeah. So yeah, another thing that uh, it, this might come up later, but he. It said that he had obsessive dis- obsessive compulsive disorder, which might have you know some of that stuff might have been self medicating or whatever that he. No, was I think that's doing. probably right. Yeah. I mean, just did they have that back then? Could they call it that? I don't know, but he, he probably said just on, knew there was something wrong with him. Yeah, and he got along. That's one of the reasons why he got along with Hunter S. Thompson so well was because they both had the same affliction. Well, they he actually went back in the studio after that album to record a follow up. And it was called Leaf in the Wind. It was never finished. Later on, he was towards, I think in the early 2000s, they were going to, uh, Capital was going to release Wanted Dead or Alive with tracks from that Leaf in the Wind album. And Warren Zevon was like, absolutely not. And at one of these stories where the artist wins out, they never released it. He won and they didn't hmm. put those tracks out. I mean, it must be. It must be pretty awful, <laughs> you know, but, but it's weird because there's six years between that album and the one we're talking about tonight. And a lot happens. I mean, it's not like he was not doing stuff, but one yeah, of, he, he became a session musician and right. he was but, a, uh, like a band leader for a lot of, well, the Everly brothers. Yeah. Like. Before we get into that though, I just want to talk about a little biographical thing that comes up later for a brief time. He's on the skids. He, his, Got a relationship with this struggling actress named Marilyn Livingston, who he called Tule, but it was spelled T-U-L-E. And it was the mother of his son, Jordan. And uh, his drinking is really bad at this time. So she kicks him out and he moves into the Tropicana, where all musicians go and hang out, right? <laughs> On Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah. He continues to drink. Um, and he gets demoted. Yeah, he can't afford to the it Hawaiian. Anymore, so yeah. he gets put put into the the Hollywood Hawaiian Hotel, <laughs> which uh, comes up later. But they call it, uh, it uh, what I read about. They said the more budget friendly, but I think the term is probably dump. Um, <laughs> and he stayed there for a couple of weeks. Well, he said he had to step over uh, homeless people, yeah. junkies. Sounds um, like Sixth uh, Street. <laughs> but according to his wife Crystal, his later wife Crystal, when he realized he couldn't pay the bill, David David Marks, who was an original member of the Beach Boys, they were buddies. Pulls up and David Marks pulls up in his mom's station wagon. Warren Zevon crawls out of the uh, the bathroom window, and they haul haul it out of there without him paying. He skips on the bill, and he felt he felt bad about it later. He actually went back to try to make amends, and he offered to pay the bill. But the the uh, the hotel, to their credit, just said, "Well, can we have an autographed cal- copy of your album instead?" <laughs> so that's what they took. But then he gets uh, a job, as you said, he's a band leader and music coordinator for the Everly Brothers, which is a weird, I mean, that's a weird thing to think about. Yeah. Um, But it starts off, they they had a summer replacement variety show called Johnny Cash Presents the Everly Brothers. That's the first, first time he was involved in that. (laughs) That's bizarre. And then he did it off, I guess, uh, for the most 
part up until about 73 when they decided they didn't want the Beverly brothers didn't want to be the Everly brothers anymore. Yeah. And he worked a little bit with them individually. He became very close with Phil. Yeah. Who sings on this. Well, he speaks really highly of them. Yes. And, uh, yeah, how talented they were. Talk, right? Talked about what a uh, opportunity it was. But it's during this time that he hires, when he's band leader, he hires a guitarist for him, Waddy. Wattel. Wattel. And, in 1972. <laughs> and he plays guitar on The Stories We Could Tell, which is the Everly Brothers album, and the subsequent tour after that. The two of them, Zevon and Wattel, did not like each other early on. They, really? They, yeah, they clashed. Well, but, they, Zevon stole his girlfriend oh i didn't know that that would do it that's, <laughs> that's, that's, one of those, that's who he ended up marrying oh crystal mm-hmm. huh. yeah, that's funny because that's one of those stories that uh with the ramones turned out differently because when that happened johnny and joey never spoke to each other again after that but uh, huh. uh but what's interesting about this is they ended up discovering that they liked merle haggard and stone's tunes and they would they would jam after the after they were playing live. They would just sit back at the hotel and jam. And the Everly Brothers would join in too. So they had these big jam sessions. And from that point forward, they, I mean, Wattel was instru- He played. I mean, he was with Zevon forever. Yeah, like he was like he was like the David Lindley to uh, well Jackson Brown. And then he's on everything. Yeah, yeah. including Stevie Nicks's. Uh, Solo albums. He's on almost every one of them. Um, James with, Taylor. He's a huge part of Linda Ronstadt's sound. But yeah. I, I'm going to take a brief aside to talk about him and just say that Lindsay, that's who Lindsay Buckingham called Waddy Wattell when he got the invite to join. He and Stevie Nicks got the invite to join Fleetwood Mac. They joined Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's, that's who he called. And he's like, I don't, I don't know about this. And, <laughs> <laughs> what I was like, are you nuts? Are you nuts? Their only problem is they don't want me, is what he said. Yeah, so, Waddy Wachtell was actually their guitar player, wasn't he? For yeah, the Buckingham Knicks. For Buckingham Knicks. So yeah. anyway, they join, and then he ends up playing guitar on Sugar Daddy on that Fleetwood Mac album. But uh, it's just funny that that <laughs> I that love that Lindsay, song. Lindsay, yeah. Lindsay Buckingham's like, I don't know if I should do this. It's like, are you crazy? <laughs> so anyway, back to Warren Zevon. Yeah, and they um, were starving to death. Yeah. No, actually, uh, we didn't mention that. Buckingham Nicks and Warren Zevon saved shared a house. Yeah, for they a lived while. together. Yeah, they did. Yeah. That's right. Um, but the other person that he meets at this time, and we mentioned how important he was, is Jackson Brown. They actually met in '68, and this is another brief aside I want to take because it's interesting. He met, they met in '68 at, at the home of a guy named Barry Friedman, who went by the name of Fraser Mohawk, and Fraser Mohawk would host these songwriter nights, and uh, just a, a sort of what I want to call seven degrees of connection if you will. While, while uh, this Fraser Mohawk guy was working at the Troubadour, he became friends with Stephen Stills. And if you recall from the Neil Young episode, when Buffalo Springfield, uh, sort of when they met, remember Neil Young came down from Canada with with Bruce Palmer and they were driving down Sunset oh, yeah. Boulevard and they oh, passed yeah. Stephen Stills and Richie Foray in a car. This guy, Fraser Mohawk, was driving the car there. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And, wow. About and another weird thing is, if you remember, we talked about the Holy Mole Rounders when we were talking about psychedelia, because they were the first band to use the term psych- psychedelic in uh, their version of Hesitation Blues. He produced the Holy Mole Holy, Holy Rounders as well. This, hmm. uh, so just just another brief little connection. More connections. So, More connections. Right. I guess we're bound to uh, go through highly connected territory for the rest of our <laughs> broadcast but, years. But anyway, so uh, 
Jackson Brown and Warren Zevon meet at this guy's house. Um, one of the songs that Jackson Brown hears that night is Hasten Down the Wind. And he's like, holy cow. He's blown away by it. Well, who they don't, be, yeah. They bump into each other later again. And, and, and after a night of drinking something that they dubbed the Waco Bloody Mary, Warren Zevon starts playing Jackson Brown, other songs he's been working on, French Inhaler, Desperado Under the Eaves. And these are just, I was like, these need to be, you need to record these, right? You need to do something with these. These need to go on an album. So he ends up, Zephon ends up getting with Wachtel and laying down some demos. Nothing comes out of it. So Zevon and his, and his wife skedaddle Crystal and they, they moved to Spain. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you know why they moved to Spain? I do not know that. I, did just, I could not get any information. I knew they went there for a while. Uh, he, he had a drunk driving charge, so he split. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what you do. Yeah, so he split. But while he's in Spain, Jackson Brown is shopping these songs around, and he plays them for the Eagles. He plays them for Friends and the Birds. Eventually, he plays them for David Geffen at Asylum, who says, yeah, I want to, I want to make an album for this guy, especially if you're going to be behind it. Yeah. And so Jackson Brown sends word to Roran Zevon saying, you, you got to quit what you're doing and come back to the States and we're going to, we're going to do this and I'll help you out. Surreptitiously. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that brings us to the album we're talking about tonight. And as I mentioned earlier, it's was released, recorded and released six years after his official debut. What's this album called? Warren Zevon. And who's it by? Warren Zevon. Oh, yeah. What do they call that? Hippopotamus? Hippopotamus. <laughs> we talked about everybody who's on it already. Yeah, um, produced it is Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown produced it. It's got, it's, it's, it, unlike that first album, at least maybe the first album has it, it's just hard to listen to. It's got what will become known as a trademark Warren Zevon mixture of dark humor, as we've mentioned several times. But also that, as you mentioned, Doug, or maybe J.M. mentioned it, is there's an underlying vulnerability in his songs as well. So that's and something he does very, very well. L.A. is one of the main characters. L.A. Yeah. is the main character, but it, it's not... It, it's funny when you think about Tom Waits and how he sort of romanticizes. This is not a romantic vision of L.A. It's, it's, I mean, it's basically like watching people in L.A. in 1976 and writing about them. And there's no, but there's an emphasis on the dysfunction. Oh, right. absolutely, oh, yeah. very much the dysfunction. Not it, like it is today, where everything is <laughs> sunny perfect. and perfect. Yeah. So, so I, I'm assuming we could go straight. We can go straight into the songs if you want to. Which is a song that's uh, not like anything we just talked about. Yeah. What you mean? The first song on the first side. The first song on the first. Frank side. and Jesse James. Yeah. I love the piano in this. I absolutely love the beginning of this. The way that that piano that comes in, it, it, it sounds like it's the start of an epic Western. I guess the song is kind of a got Western themes and everything, but it, it just sounds like it's going to be, what's the name of that movie? Once Upon a Time in the West or something. It's going to be this long. So this is a song that was supposedly written about and for the Everly Brothers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which... It just Somebody has to explain that yeah. to me because 
nothing about this song sounds like something they would cover, <laughs> and nothing about the lyrics sounds like anything that has to do with them. Right. Yeah, I don't know if they were uh, fr- pushing up against the man or something, but I never heard that part of it. May- maybe you wanted them to keep on riding because at this point in every letter's career, they're about they, to break they up. They did not yeah. particularly care for each other. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that's not what's going on here. I mean, this is all. This is sort of a romanticized version of the of. Of yeah. Frank and Jesse James. Like they actually and, helped people. And it goes back to something we've talked about several times about these Californians kind of romanticize or people I should say not just Californians, people not Southern romanticizing this was this having this bizarre kind of horrible people. Yeah. Well no, just I, what? What do you mean? <laughs> well they they killed people. <laughs> they, they a lot of people. Yeah, this is um it's it's like Confederate social justice yeah. uh, song. Yeah. Yeah. It's so ridiculous yeah. that they're uh, praising slave owners, Confederates, and well, uh, and William, William Cantrell was a piece of work. That guy, the guy who he's mentioned. Oh, it's, his song. They, they, they slaughtered <laughs> innocent people. Yeah. Yeah. They they um, they shot bank clerks. Yeah. They were robbing every Republican bank in yeah. uh, the Missouri and, and Kansas harassing, territory. Harassing yeah. any re- Republican government. And they, they, they gave nothing. It's no Robin Hood story. They no. were not giving away anything to... Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't know... They didn't have the History Channel back then, so I, I don't so. know where he got such bad information <laughs> without the History Channel, but... I, I will yeah. say, though, this, this is... Um, so I I knew nothing mu- much about this album. I would just want to get this up front. This album is is it's it's been a weird thing for me because the songs on it and most of them are this way. I love this song gets stuck in my head and I can't mm-hmm. get it out of my head. Yeah, and it unlike any uh, unlike almost any other album we've done, the songs on this album are I'm not mediocre. I love them that I love, and the ones I don't, I'm like skip. I, mm-hmm. I just don't even want to hear them, mm-hmm. and it's weird that those songs that coexist on the same album. It's not as it's not a scale to me. It's like this song is great, this song is not great. It's I, like there's a band with two songwriters. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. song though is is fantastic. I agree with you, Jam. The way it starts out with the piano is just it, it does it's setting you up for an epic. I mean, you could have had like it, it could have gone in a totally different direction than it did. When it's the way that he starts out, and then those that drum and bass comes in with that heavy thud, and mm-hmm. you're okay, nope, no, it's a rock did, song. Did you guys think a tumbleweed connection while you're listening? Yeah, I very absolutely, much did. absolutely. <laughs> and and, and there is a there is an Elton John connection. Yep, his album, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It's the one that comes after Captain Fantastic, but man, he sings a song called "I Feel Like the Bullet in the Gun of Robert Ford." Oh wow, okay. Who, of course, is the person that shot Jesse James? Right, right. And so Phil Heverly, as you mentioned, Phil Heverly actually sings on this. Yep. And, and David uh, David, David Lindley's playing the banjo, banjo and yeah. fiddle. Yeah. And they're yeah. both great. Now, mm-hmm. this is a great song. It's a great way to start this album out. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's a good song, and I wish it was in a different language because the lyrics people people who praise. These guys just drive me crazy. Have, because who praises them? I have no idea. Who, who the hell thinks there's these? in the fifties? There was a big, and and then uh, you it, after the Civil War with the Ku Klux yeah. Klan, yeah. these guys were robbing people dressed as the Ku Klux Klan. They were they were held up. You know how stupid people get when they're so anti something yeah. that they're for something bad. Yeah, that's what this is. I mean, they, they were so anti union. Yeah. That they became pro bank robbers, murderers, mm-hmm. 
Well, they were well, terrible, is, terrible human beings. There, there is a weird thing where where bank like where outlaws become these folk heroes, even mm-hmm. though there's nothing about them is that's remotely redeemable. When, and what people forget is there's no FDIC. <laughs> when they rob a bank, they're just taking the money from the farmers right. and merchants right. in that right. community. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, this is probably not the focus of our podcast, but <laughs> but I do like the song. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it that it's 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 a tired subject, but it's got some so many interesting arrangements on it. But it just makes me feel like meeting him at a bar and saying, "What, the what were you? Are thinking? you serious? Yeah, come on." This Which is, I don't think he was. Yeah. I don't know. What's that I don't mean? know what he's doing. He's got a lot of songs about taking down uh, corporations and all that kind of stuff. What's and that? Yeah. Billy Joe, Billy Joel's got a song kind of like this. It's about Billy the Kid, right? Yeah, Billy the Kid. Yeah, another yeah idiot. Anyway, <laughs> um, okay. But this his his wife said this was his favorite song on this album. No, his favorite Period? song. Yeah. Which well, it would astonishes be astonishing. It would be shocking if he said it was his favorite one on this album, let alone his favorite song. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's mind blowing to it me. It is. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's one of my. It's one of the better songs on the album. It's not definitely not my favorite. It's not my favorite song, but I like it a lot. But mm-hmm. it's it's. It, I mean, there are at least three songs I think. Well, are better, I, I, I'll tell more. you what it does do is it establishes him as a uh, in your face. A strong singer, yeah. and you you know there's something about his voice I didn't mention earlier, but it's always strained. Yeah. It is. There's there's not a uh, relaxed version of his voice right. anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. It's and, spot on. And I like his voice. I, I love it. That's not a criticism. Too. Yeah, but it is a limited voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Which it's a it's a he could never sing. It's a character. Here come those tears again. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of character. It does have a lot of character. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay, moving on to song number two on side one. Mama Couldn't Be Persuaded. I like it. I like it a lot. It's another... It's um, very Jackson Brownie. It is very Jackson Brownie. It's another tired subject about a girl falling in love for a ne'er-do-well, but it's got a... It's about... It's, 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 it's got the redeeming factor yes. that it's about his own parents. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I think that I think that makes it less tired. I mean, if you don't know that, maybe it, I think it feels that way, but I yeah. think, yeah, knowing... I mean, it's perfect. That whole second verse about his family moving to L.A. and the yeah. divorce and everything. Yeah. That that line about stuck in the middle, I was the kid. I mean, in a bouncy song, that's a pretty gut punch of a line, you know. No, um, that's that's his style. It yeah. really is. It He's really got is. these happy bouncy lyrics and it's sad things happening at the same time. Yeah. I I want to say this. I didn't like the song immediately, but every time I listened to it, I liked it more and more and more to the point where it's like I was looking forward to listening to it. This whole album is this going to be a hard album for me to not listen to because I've enjoyed enjoyed it in a lot of ways a little foreshadowing yeah um yeah jackson brown is jackson brown and jd souther are on this song singing and they're they're great the harmonies are fantastic on this i think 
Yeah, and then of course David Lindley's playing fiddle again. Yeah. Fiddle sounds great on it. It's very subdued, but it it is good. Mm-hmm. It's a good. Yeah, role. he's he's buried a lot in this. Yes, uh, in his in the mix of this. Not, yes. but sometimes he's not. Yes, he's got some times on <laughs> the got, yeah. on the pedal still where I think. Yeah. Only uh, running on empty has anything that yeah. hangs with it. All right, we ready to move to number three. Mm-hmm. Okay, song number three, side one. Backs turned, looking down the path. Hit me like a ton of bricks Had to get my outlook fixed With my back turned Looking down the path People always ask me why What's the matter with me? Nothing matters when I'm with my baby Great work by Lindsey Buckingham on this one. He does, I think he's playing the acoustic guitar on that And I think, is it David Lindley playing the slide on this? That's no, Jackson Brown playing the slide on this. Wow. Uh-oh. Wow. That's surprising. Is it? Good slide work. I just never considered Jackson Brown a very good slide player. What he did. Well, I didn't even know he ever tried, and I he can did, tell uh, you what. He I did w- it on uh, When the Road and the Sky Collide. What's that one? On the he first? played that? Yeah. No, no. That's uh, it, Light uh, for the Sky. Light for the Sky. Is so this is a fairly ba- this is a simple song. I think to the this rest is the, the most the most not Warren Zevon song on the album. Yeah, it's so it's it, it, only because it's a kind of a simple arrangement. It's a good song. I, I have a question though. It sounds like a song he wrote for someone else. It does. It does. You know, I'm not a musician, so I hear things and I don't know what I'm hearing. Is is that a resonator on this, or is it just a regular acoustic? That's a good question. I thought it was a regular acoustic, but it could be. It's got a weird sound to it. Maybe well, it's just got an effect the, the, or something on it. I don't know. Well, there's one of the things I notice is that the there's acoustic guitars on both sides of the ears, and it sounds like there's there's people are playing different. different that happens stuff. on uh, Carmelita too. Yeah, it happens yeah. a lot on Carmelita. You got the but you know how those resonators. This is a stupid thing to say, but those resonators have that kind of really metallic. Yeah, the sound. reason why because a resonator the the difference is the sound goes into a cone and it doesn't yeah. resonate throughout the whole body of the guitar. And so it, when it pops, when it comes out of the guitar, it it is a much more tenny sound. I, I could be wrong. I could just be that no, I don't know what be. I'm talking yeah. about it. But it, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have inside information, we'd love to hear from you. If you played guitar on that album, we'd like to hear from you. <laughs> uh, I love the. And another thing I want to say about the the bass is incredible on this song. So I, I I can't well, remember who played it, but it's it, really good. And because the song is such a simple arrangement, it stands out in a yeah. way that it, that you can't... Cause well, it's got that nice 70s, mid 70s... The 70s, early 70s bass just was never mixed right. And I think that Asylum did great work with bringing the bass. I don't know what their studios had, but for some reason, the bass just sounds really good and it sounds really good on a, on a lot of Asylum albums. But this it sounds great on this one. So moving on to song number track number four on side one, Hasten Down the Wind. So he's hanging on to half a heart, but he can't have the restless part. So he tells her to hasten down the wind. And he agrees. Think she needs to be free. Okay, just <laughs> shut up. That's all I have to I say. Just absolutely. In my notes, I have wow. 
This I mean, song will make you want to do what, Jay? Makes you want to boohoo. <laughs> but it's his voice and Lindley's guitar are wonderful together. They may be better than Jackson Brown and Lindley together. I agree. I agree. Um, and the other thing is, this is really original songwriting. Yeah. This hasten down the wind mm-hmm. sounds like what? You yeah. have to think it out, and then when you figure it out, you go, oh. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, of course, this was uh, the title track for Linda Ronsat's seventh album or sixth album, depending yeah. on how, how much you count the um, Stone Ponies, Ponies at the yeah. beginning. But um, <sighs> this is a remarkable song it's, it, that I, you can't get out of your head. You can't. It, <laughs> and it, it's it, almost I mean, impossible to listen to I, once. Yeah. You have to, I almost, I have to almost pause it and just stop for a minute and just what did i just hear i I had a hard time figuring out who the woman singing on this was until i realized it's not a woman (laughs) (laughs) that is so funny i did the same thing who is this this is i I got on my computer and go what the hell and and i go oh it's phil everly but it's okay because it's perfect i that that part where he sings about um you know about her being so many women, and he. And, I mean, I guess the oh, chorus. Oh, the, right? the line is my favorite line. The whole she's so many women. He can't find can't the one. Can't fi- figure out the one that is his friend. friend. That's oh, there's, Lord, is there that's a, a single guy in the universe that doesn't know exactly no. what he's talking it's, about? It's, a, no. it's heartbreaking. It's hard. Yeah, you know. And then he's like listening to her going, and then she says, "We can oh, make I it. I've yeah, got to be alone. Yeah. We can make it. I got to be alone." Yeah. And then, then she relents, and he says, "Well." Mm. Nope. Time for it's, you to uh, down to win. It's, yeah. I, I can't believe... Um, he did it in so few words in such a short... So, there's this, novels that take longer than yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm surprised that it's not covered by everyone. Mm-hmm. It, like some one of those songs that everybody covers that you go, okay, we don't need any more covers of this. Yeah. But, he, uh, uh, when you, you mentioned Linda Ronstadt, he told a live audience once that when... When he wrote the song, he was poor and struggling, screwed up, and then she recorded it, and it kept him from starving. <laughs> is what he said. Because that album came out, it came out. Her album came out in '76 as well, didn't it? Uh, Did it was she... very fast. Because this um, "Hasten Down the Wind" was her album, right? And then I think what what was the next one? That one where she's so beautiful on it, and I had the one where she's riding on the uh oh on the, when she's walking on the beach no 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 she's standing she's sitting in front of a mirror oh yeah um, yeah, simple yeah. dreams simple dreams yeah that had that a that had two or three of these songs but, on it but she released i mean that's this album came her album hasten down the wind came out the same year as this did so. this is where she's on the beach yeah yeah, yeah. And, but so it's like he he got he got a windfall from that pretty pretty close yeah but, he yeah. he says that uh David Letterman did more for his career than anyone, but I think it's Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt made yeah. come. He, I mean, he just had he had a lot of help. But that's anyway. what's so strange about his story is how many people were just dying to help him every step of the way. But not, but it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's just absolutely. Well, so again, there's a lot of stuff. There's like this song and the song before it. I, I am interested in the production of it. One of the, this song in particular starts off with that guitar. Doing that nice little intro riff, and then um, there's the piano comes in right after that, and it just how those two things are playing with each other—the guitar and the piano playing with you're like, who came up with that? Mm-hmm. Who in the? And it's just the song is perfect. I mean, it is. Well, close I think to he perfect. was. I think he was in, 
in charge of arranging all this stuff. Really? No oh, and he's... I think so. Uh, that yeah. must have been, because... I, I mean, that's one of the things that he and um, Kim Foley clashed over, was, was that. Arrangement? Yeah, he was yeah. He was very much, like, in the business, and... Well, this does sound like a Jackson Brown production. I mean, but I don't know. I mean, but Jackson Brown, I don't know what he'd produced before this, if he'd produced any of his own records, but... Um, well, you can you can hear him in all of these songs. I think yeah. this this was the single on this album, and it didn't do anything. Good. Well, I don't I don't think Golden it chart. is immediately accessible. I think it is five songs accessible, or five times accessible. Hmm. Poor, hmm. poor, pitiful me. I think is which was not a single. Yeah. I don't believe. Uh, yeah. So that's why they they should hire me at Asylum. Well, speaking of nice nice segue. Or segue. Seg you guys in. <laughs> uh, Doug, the next song, track five on side one, is, in fact, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. West Hollywood, I ain't names. But she really me over good. She was just like Jesse James. She really me over good. She was a credit to her gender. Bands on fire on this one. I absolutely love the guitar on the start of this. I wish I was at Liberty Lunch watching this. <laughs> really, it, it really is so it's good. It's a bit of a whiplash, though, after the last song. <laughs> it sure is. It yeah. sure is. Is this side one? This is side one. Into side one, This right? seems to me to be the most Warren Zevon-y song to me on this album. This sounds like stuff you would hear. When you say it's surprising it's it self-deprecating. The, the character it's is It's dark loathsome. humor. He's, trying, yeah, to, he's yeah. trying to kill himself with a yeah. railroad track. Well, and then he gets in. It's, that's the weird thing. So he, there's a <laughs> Waiting failed, on the double E, but it's, it's late. The failed, <laughs> failed, the failed suicide attempt. And he gets into a relationship with a woman who is abusive. And then he gets oh, into she a, wants him to beat her. No, that's the next one. Oh, that's one. the next one. And the next one is the sadomasochistic thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you, you know what? Really, when I when I heard this song, this is how much the country's changed. When I first heard this song, and he uses the word gender, I think in my head, oh, he's stretching for a rhyme that really doesn't work. I mean, he's reaching now that the way the definition of that word has changed so much, it sounds perfectly natural. But back in the back in the seventies, no one used the word gender for sex, <laughs> right? I well, and it also has that thing where he where he uses the same line twice, fairly close together. Yeah, but I, um, I think it works. It, it works, this. but it always bugs me. And I'm not I'm not knocking it in the sense that it's poor songwriting because one of my favorite song country songs of all time, "Hello Walls," Willie mm-hmm. Wilson yeah. does the same thing. He uses yeah. the same lyric. Well, that's twice. the thing to me. That's that that he's just like he's so out of it. Like he's like this just happened, and he and he says it twice. Yeah, it, it, it there is a little bit about this guy walking into a bar going, "You won't believe what just happened <laughs> yeah. to me." So uh, the this there's a story. I don't know how true it is, but evidently it's supposedly the song is a little bit of a tongue in cheek poke at Jackson Brown's own. Yeah, I heard that. Lyrics. Really? Yeah. All, yeah. After Pretender came out, yeah. and he's got. 
<laughs> sleep's dark, silent gate, and uh, oh, uh, here come those tears again. Yeah. <laughs> All those yeah. sad songs yeah. Jackson Brown is singing. So I hope that's true take, because a poke I, yeah. I think that would be hilarious. Yeah, but well, sleep's dark, gold. And, and as you mentioned... It's weird. Oh, they're because, all. It's a great album, but yeah. it Jackson Brown is. I don't one of like. The most, Here comes those tears again. I think I said ridiculous. It's line. it's one he should have given to a girl. Yeah. Um, so David Lindley plays fiddle again on this, and I never I noticed the I fiddle. Did, I didn't until, until I started get, grinding down on it. Yeah, I didn't notice it either until it's, this. And it's not in the. It's essential, but yeah. I never heard it. I never it. heard it. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. And, and then it, that that I never like ever paid attention to the. When that and it just everybody just pops in exactly. It's Wadi Watel's in his element and his solo on this on this song is really great too. Incredible, incredible. It's like he's been trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with himself, and then just bam, this is it, baby. But the arrangement that this is not an easy song to play. I've played it in bands before, and it's people never get it right. They want to pause. Poor, poor jam. Poor, poor pitiful jam. Is is there another song that mentions Warren Blenders? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, so. I don't know, but that, it's uh, that stands out so much. Of, he's yeah. the king of coming up with like <laughs> what's that thing where he talks about where uh, a stomach virus that cows get that, <laughs> that is affecting the meat industry. I mean, it's just like oh, blind or mad cow disease? No, yeah. it's something like a that's a brain body. disease. Yeah, it's a weird. The, well, the weird thing about the song you talked about it as well was that. Linda Ronstadt covered it. I mean, considering the subject matter, it's been covered by at least three women I know, if not if not more. It's a it's it's kind of a strange pick for a, a, yeah. a woman, but it works say. so well when she does it. Mm-hmm. Well, so she did it. Uh, a Canadian singer by the name of Terry Clark did a version of it, and then, of course Bonnie Raitt also recorded it. So it was on that Simple Dreams album we were just talking about, yeah. which I wore the grooves off of that sucker, and <laughs> also had the. The uh, inside sleeve taped next to my uh, <laughs> desk in college. She is so she gorgeous. Is, she is gorgeous. I mean, now I can't tell anymore because I'm so married, but back then I could tell. <laughs> and then Lindsey Buckingham is singing. Yeah, singing yeah. I never knew that and I never heard him. He's, yeah. yeah I, I didn't. It's one of those things like, well, I didn't. Like, you listen to it and you start, oh, David Lind- Lindley. Oh, I can hear the Fleetwood film. Mac should the, cover it. Yeah, it really should. I, I mean, the Fleetwood Mac the Fleetwood doesn't Mac now, exist yeah. anymore. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the last song on side one, track number six, The French Inhaler. Drugs on one and flattering light. You must try it again till you get it right. Baby, you'll end up with someone different. Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say this is the one that he could have given to the Eagles. I'm, I'm, I bet they've covered this before, but I love the. Way I think they, it's too, uh, too think it's complicated too, for them. I think it. Well, well, the way it starts off, the I mean, piano, I mean the, the uh, lyrics. Well, it is yeah. the Eagles don't sing songs where people go, "What's that about?" It's <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty mean spirited song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about his his the woman the woman who fathered his first first kid. Yeah. Um, it, but it, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's got that Mozart beginning to it, and then it, which kind of gives it that aristocracy kind of feel to it, and then the French inhaler. But then 
When the hell is he talking? When does he say French Inhaler? I can't remember. Whatever the other song has Inhaler in it. This is one of the ones that I might have left off. Oh, not me. I love this song. I there can't decide yeah. if I like it or not. I love it. It's not my, it was probably the my least favorite song on the album, except this the times that I've been listening to it over the past couple of weeks, I just I absolutely love his piano playing on it. I, mean, I do just, too, and, and I love his voice I love on his it. Voice. It's, it's a little buried. Uh, in particular, that part where he gets where he's, he says, "You said you said you were an actress." His voice in that bit is it's yep, so that, that's angry. It, I mean, he's it's great. I can't believe anyone would talk to their child's mother that way. Well, you know, there, I don't know if you've seen the story where where Jordan's talking to her about it, and she says, "She says, yeah, it was the ultimate et- middle finger to me." But just listen to this song; it's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, she even she even well, that's that impresses me more about her than him. Yeah, yeah but it's it's been covered before, right? Another. I can't remember. Besides the Eagle, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the Eagles thing, the never reason covered bring it. Up but... The Eagles is because Glenn Fry and Don Henley are on. Oh, this, they're and, all over it. That's and, and that is such a Jackson Brown harmony arrangement. Well, yeah. I don't know. I that part where where they sing, he says another pretty face, and they go devastated. Yeah, that sounds like something straight off a of Desperado. The way they sing that line, well, and, it sounds out of Late for the Sky to me. It, I, I just think that sound doesn't fit this album. Well, it does. It does. That that harmony stands out. But I think this song is remarkable. I think um, this song could have been better. I wish it had. <laughs> this might just be my prejudice. It, it, get rid of the Eagles on this. Get rid of a little of the production on it. And I think it's a, a much better song. I I could see that. I mean, the the Eagles Eagles vocals. But I'll tell you what. If I out. if I put out a record, and I can have the Eagles sing background, you do it. I probably will, just so everybody can say, oh, this is serious business, because he's got the biggest band in the world. This song has the same sort of issue that the first song has, is the subject matter is so jarring. I feel a little bit guilty liking both of those songs as much as I do, because this is such a mean-spirited song. But God, I love it. I can't get it out of my head. If it could have, I can't get it out of my head. I didn't know you liked that song so much. I think one of the things that I do like that song that gives it a little bit of it, I think, given the background of the rest of the the songs that we've heard, where he's so deprecating about himself, he's being mean spirited, but you're almost like, well, yeah, you're a. He could have used a little. If he could have put himself down a little bit on at least one verse, it would have helped. Yeah, but taken in context of the rest of the album, it, he you can kind of see that this guy is just not the the best guy in the world. I, I was going to use a word that is we can't say on the air, but because it's a family friendly, it's a family friendly show. Of course, we got some not family friendly. The next one song coming up in a couple of a little while is not the most family. Friendly, uh, Ladies theme. and gentlemen, we will purify the song before your child in the carpool hears it. <laughs> All right, are we ready to flip it over? Yep. Let's flip her. All right, we're going to flip her over and get to song one, side two, Mohammed's Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we had a wonderful listener write in and tell us that she was mad at us for playing Sentimental uh, Lady. 
because it was an airworm that got into her head. <laughs> we we're about to, to <laughs> yeah, we're about to do the same thing again. Uh, this sucker will get into your head and will not leave. I didn't leave my. I remember the first time I heard it. It did not leave my head for like two years. The first time I heard it, it wasn't Warren Zavon singing it. It was at Green Hall, huh. and somebody who wasn't even good was singing it. And it still got stuck in my head. <laughs> well, and like the last song where it's impossible not to hear the Eagles, you have to be deaf not to know that Stevie <laughs> Nicks is singing on this song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so we have Stevie Nicks contributing. I love this song. It's, it's a very, very good song. I have absolutely no idea what the hell it's about. Well, it's about on a very sort of superficial level, I guess, or maybe not. It's about the salvation of music. So he's singing about how bad you know, your everyday existence is for the middle class people. They can't afford gas and all this stuff. But guess what? You're going to, you're going to listen to, you got a radio. Yeah. yeah but Which, why is it Muhammad's radio? Well, That's I've what... got, I got a story about that. So everybody says it's, uh, it's the Muhammad's radio is a, a fictional for the song is a fictional pirate radio station. I don't know if that's true or not, but what it's based on is he was in Aspen, Colorado, watching a Halloween parade in 1973 and there's this developmentally challenged guy walking in the parade who's dressed in a Muslim road and, and headscarf, and he's holding the radio to his ear. Oh, wow. And so that's essentially huh. the village idiot that he's speaking about in the oh, song. Wow. Is this guy who's just completely oblivious to anything, walking down this parade, ha- just loving what he's listening to, enjoying, like... Oblivious, oblivious to-, to everything else, which is, of course, the song. You got yeah. all this tough yeah, stuff around right. you, but rock and roll can take you out of it. Right. Right. Of course, there's there's a, another story that says that he just liked the way those two words sounded. I've together. heard that too. I heard <laughs> so, that too. I mean, that's I like the I like the one in Aspen, except it's Aspen's the wrong town for that to happen. In. <laughs> it is. It should have been Pueblo. Well, it would, but back then it was the right town for it. Yeah. Well, and, Pueblo. And, it's, <laughs> and I I find the little the also just kind of the weird dig about how. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is how I read it, how the man understands the power of the radio. And so, he wants to put it down. So yeah. he says, be watchful of Muhammad's lamp, because he understands that, mm-hmm. you know, this is that there's salvation in this stuff, and yeah. we're, we're all about making sure you don't get yeah. that, you know? Yeah, this, this is kind of, <laughs> this reminds me of the lighthouse. It's the same kind of deal. It's that the rock and roll salvation, yeah. that oh, fighting yeah. against the... Uh, Huh. Well, it's not. It's, it's, not a, it's definitely not science fiction. Though. It's not science fiction. Well, and it's not an uncommon theme. No, right? it's a very no. common, the very Boston common song. Theme. Is that no? Way? It's, oh, yeah. it's and, uh, sticks has songs. Right, about the that. Spirit, yeah. spirit of radio. And, it's, uh, but it's true. I mean, yeah, it is. Radio is magic. I mean, Jay Giles band has all tons you of songs kids with your uh, downloadable things on your phone don't understand what it's like to have a transistor radio that you put under your pillow while yeah, you go to night. sleep, yeah. and you are transported and you got it's, that one all you have is that one little air yeah you have that, that you one yeah. yeah that was yep. the that that meant a difference in that for kids yeah it meant rock and roll for old men it meant they could listen you to re- uh, you our football game during a wedding that's right. you couldn't, <laughs> yeah and you couldn't recharge it you had to have batteries so you always yeah. had to have a, and they they, they didn't plug battery. in either yeah, but plug in. the transistor when you could put a radio in your hand it yeah. was yeah. like magic yep. uh, so last thing i want to say about this song is this to me is the most jackson brown sounding song on it when you listen to that breakdown with the harmonies it sounds so much 
like well, late for the sky. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. Let's just say exactly exactly. It's, uh, what, what is I'm, that song called? It's um, late for the sky. It's late. For, the album's late for the sky. The but song it, is late for the no, sky. No, it's not. I listened to it today. I did a lot of work on. Oh, this it's a. Uh, it's um. <coughs> everyone I've ever known has wished me well, but it. It's you're the last exactly song on side one. Yeah. You're exactly right, and it has the Eagles sing in the background. Yeah, um, Dan Fogelberg sings on that one too. So. Does he really? Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's Dan uh, Fogelberg's not on this. I. It's so 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 much like that. I was distracted by it every time yeah. I heard it. Yeah. An early model Chevrolet. Yeah. Let's so say. It's it's uh it's almost um yeah. and then we have Nixon Buckingham on here again. Yeah. And Bobby Keys playing and saxophone. Yeah. David Lindley playing slide guitar. Which, by the way, if you there is a version of them on I told you about this before we started, Doug, on the old Grey Whistle test in nineteen seventy six with the band with the band that's or the people on this except for Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and Jackson Brown's playing guitar with him. And they sing together. They're the ones oh, that sing wow. the harmony. And in David Lindley's slide on that live version is remarkable. I'll put it on the website. That that clip of Warren Zevon singing this song on the old Gray Whistle Test is incredible. Another thing I like is the usually slide and saxophone. I mean, unless you're Bob Wills, that's not <laughs> something that usually that you you normally hear. In fact, I've been in studios before where they said. Yeah, we're not going to let the slide and the saxophone play at the same time. In fact, we just need to, you can have one or the other. But the way this works is just fantastic. And and this was the B side to Hasten Down the Wind. So the people who didn't buy Hasten Down the Wind didn't buy this either. So late show. Late show. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're wondering, the album on Jackson Brown's album, uh, Late for the Sky, the song is Late Show. And if if you don't recognize that little, uh, (laughs) Bit, I'll, yeah. I'll be surprised. All right, moving on to song number two on side two. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Straight from the bottom, twisted again. I'll sleep when I'm dead. All right. Doug and I have had conversations about this. I'm always surprised when someone capture what a dream is like. And to me, this is like that dirge beat that, that that's going on, that marching beat that's going on behind it. It could be completely slow, but the way that they do it. And then when he's got those Spanish words going on, that the Spanish <coughs> dialogue going on behind it, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'm exhausted. And you just hear that dirge that just walking it sounds like he's sleepwalking he's but at the same time it's still happy i don't know how i don't know who produced this but it's i think it's jackson bro well i mean but yeah i shouldn't (laughs) say that about whose idea it was to do it that way and the way that it even it another it's another fade in and we 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 like the fade ins on this is final tap i just i I love the way this song i don't particularly care for this song much I know this is encapsulates Warren Zevon's worldview at the time, and it's a fan favorite, but it just falls short for me on for compared to the rest of the songs on this album. I I want to like it, and I just can't. I, it just sounds too. I don't know. It just doesn't sound good to me. I'm not saying it's a bad song. It just doesn't. It's not my cup of tea. There is a variety of music. I think all singers have a couple of these. 
that are fantastic for live performances mm-hmm. and not interesting recorded. And this is one. And of this is one of the. I can see everybody in the audience jumping up and down, and, screaming and they're chorus. screaming. I sleep what I did when he does. Yeah. We recently saw Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, and he sings that song. It's a song he sings as Bon Jovi, "Better Days." Better. On the album, it's not interesting, but live, it's it's one that gets the crowd going. Yeah. And for me, I sleep when I'm dead is always been. If you listen to his album "Stand on the Fire," the live album, yeah, it you understand what it's for. But I agree with Tony. I don't think it's interesting to listen to. Well, it's not. It's the least complicated probably of the the it songs is. but it's, it's a just, little like a born I, in the usa kind yeah, of a yeah there's not a, a chorus out the, i mean and it's a tired boom 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 the uh boom, boom. the one interesting thing about it is that the uh ladies and gentlemen we have been attacked by <laughs> canines <laughs> i was just going to say the one interesting thing about this album or the song is that the lp's engineer fritz fritz richmond plays the jug on it yeah so there's a jug buried there's in the mix. There's a jug mix. buried in the mix, yes. Homage to the 13th floor elevators. There. Yes. I don't know is if it's electric? an electric. I don't know if it's an electric jug. I bet yeah. not. And I don't hear any. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. No, I, it's not a, the most bubbling it's, of the. It's just weird because. Um, jug players. You know, this is my first real exposure to this album and getting to this point. I was like, ah, oh, this is the first song that I really felt didn't kind of hit where I wanted it to. But I don't know. I've known it for. For so I, I've I've always loved it. So uh, I've I've known it for a long time, and I've never fallen in love with it. But then we've got the next song, Carmelita. Irresistible. Very irresistible. And it's so heartbreaking, too. It is. It's an absolutely heartbreaking song. It's a, you know, there's a lot of songs about heroin out there in music, but this one is probably the most most honest of them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who, if you've ever been around people who've had issues like this, and unfortunately I have. That there are those moments of, of reflection. You're not talking about us, though, no, right? No. <laughs> okay. There's those moments of reflection where they realize yeah. that this is not a way to live, but they're compe- they're almost compelled to live no other way. Well, it's really sad. Got a pearl handled deck he's playing solitaire with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's, we know what that uh, means. Yeah. We know what that means. This yeah. is great writing. It is. Yeah. It's a great tune. It's fantastic lyrics. And what do I tell us, guitar? Is irresistible. No, it's, this, and it, it's it it's got that thing that I absolutely love about a lot of those. Obviously, has listened to a lot of Norteño and Cajunto stuff. It's there's a lot of times when Spanish guitars will play over each other. They'll both be doing nice little runs. Do you think they, he's doing both of them? I don't know. I don't know who's doing both. Glenn, Glenn Fry plays rhythm guitar on this. Well, I know right. he's, I know Glenn Fry's not playing the mar, mariachi <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, not playing the um, mariachi stuff, but it's fantastic. So this song was actually recorded by Murray McLaughlin, who was a Canadian singer in 1972. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the first time it was recorded. I yeah. yeah. And and he and he heard it, I guess, because he was a, he was an opening act on the Everly Brothers uh, tour at that time. That's how they met. Yeah. 
But uh, uh, you know what this you know what this song remind me of, and just as a juxtaposition of it, not remind me of, but I was just thinking about this. The I forget the name of it, but the song on the Ry Cooter album that has that Mexican flavor to it that mm-hmm. just feels Mexican, tacked Mexican divorce that feels tacked on. You know, we there's another about connection. Ry Cooter yeah. played on his uh, final album, but um, really, yeah. but this song sounds so organic. There's nothing about this that doesn't feel like it's the right. It was the right choice to go that route. Yeah, there's um, there's one thing. Yeah. I don't know what a mariachi band is or a mariachi music. Well, he talks about listening to it on the radio. Yeah, he hears mariachi static oh. <laughs> instead of mariachi static. Oh, yeah. Come okay. on, he's from L.A. Yeah. They say Rodeo over there, so. Well, yeah. Linda Ronstadt fixed it for him, <laughs> but, and she um, covered it. But, yeah, just the, the, the subject matter about this guy, and he finds solace in this woman who's – yeah. Hundreds of miles away, thousands even maybe. I don't know how far away um, that town is from L.A. But um, yeah, it's just sad. It's heartbreaking. But it's such a great song. You know what's what's really funny about the the cover versions? So Gigi Allen covered this song. If you can believe that, I don't know Gigi Allen. He was so. a guy who used to say he was going to die on stage or kill himself on stage. He's a kind of a punk uh, method performance guy, but. Flaco Menes also recovered it. Mm-hmm. Recovered, yeah. it covered it with Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, yep. I've heard that. Yeah, which that's a very good version. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic and, uh, version. Dwight Yoakam mm. is another one of these guys that pops up on that final album he did. Yeah, but we should do a Dwight Yoakam album sometime. We yeah. we should. He's yeah, we he's should. so good. Yeah. And Flaco and Dwight getting together to do that's very interesting. Yeah, Flaco Menes is. Yeah, we should. Do like a violation podcast on him sometimes. We should so much. Anyway, all right, great song, fantastic song, beautiful um, song. That's my favorite on the album, actually. It's, it's one. Of, it's probably my second favorite. It's my song second ever favorite ever. as yeah. well. It's my second yeah. favorite. We haven't gotten to my favorite yet. Yeah. And it ain't the next one. I might add. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next song on side two. Join me in L.A. What can we say about this one? This Tim- is like that Sesame Street thing where they'd say one of these things is not like the other. Uh, yeah, the song stands you. out so much it to does. me for all the wrong reasons. Well, to me, it's like Warren trying to be Dr. John, and he needs Little Feet's backing. You know, it, <laughs> it, it, this could have been a much better song. I think I, it's got. I think Bonnie Raitt sings. Bonnie Raitt and Stevie Nicks sing on yeah, this song. Yeah, so that well, it's, no, it's uh, Bonnie Raitt and Rosemary Butler. Well, Stevie Nicks is on it too. Is she really? Yeah, I, I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. But, um, yeah. Rosemary Butler. I don't know why she never got her own career because I have no idea when she can she can belt it out. Of I course, see. I'm a huge Bonnie. I love Bonnie Raitt's voice. I still don't understand why you invite her into the studio well, and I, don't tell her to play guitar for you. Exactly. She could have laid some slide guitar on this. It needed have, it. It did. It needed slide it guitar. It has some back. kind of funky pre-disco deal going on. It's, it's, it's too disco-y. It could have been more funky. It could have been more Dr. Jackson Jim. Brown is playing the piano on it. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not a, it's not a good song. It's got Ned Don Haney. Who is the godfather of Yacht Rock, <laughs> which makes sense. I guess so. 
Yeah, this is just... He's I mean, the first person ever signed to asylum. Oh, really? really? Yeah. <laughs> Skip well, to... I mean, it's got... Musicianship is good, but again, it, it this needed... This was a little too polished. It was a little... It's just... It, was, it's, it doesn't match. It, it doesn't, doesn't match. match. That's the problem. I, it may be an okay song, but it doesn't match the rest it's, of the it's, album. And it's not for his it, voice either. It's not nope. for his voice. Nope. Um, but I, I, I feel so bad that these two great voices uh, singing... We're wasted on this song. Okay, let's move on to the final song on the album, Desperado Under the Eaves. And if California slides into the ocean Like the mystics and statistics say it will I predict this motel will be standing Until I pay my bill Man, what a song! <laughs> it's and so that, that you played the best part of the song too. That that, that I love that, that love that line. <laughs> the mystics and statistics. That's so good. So compressed. I mean, yeah. going from science to mystics <laughs> all in one line, and then and it, then it's going to. It's stand. all about me. It's all about me. I have to pay a bill before. <laughs> It would be so nice if it would just wipe everything out. <laughs> but, but no, not until I pay my <laughs> not bill. Not until I'm done. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. And well, this is the most autobiographical yeah. song yeah. on the album. And we talked it? about that earlier. Yeah, about, we yeah, about stay that. at yeah. the Tropicana till he yeah. can't anymore. Yeah. And then, I mean, the line about listening to the air conditioning, <laughs> I don't have any trouble imagining that. <laughs> and, I mean, and then all of a sudden, he's just sitting there. He's like, he can't do the air conditioning. He can't think of anything And else. all those... All those motels with the air conditioners mm-hmm. on the outside. If you're <laughs> if you're outside your room, sitting in a chair, or some all you will hear all and, those units. But it's also amazing how musically he makes that home. I know. Yeah. I, I here I, here's a question for you guys. When I was listening to this, um, I immediately thought, do you think he knew when he was done? Because we've talked about songs that. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I think this song. I mean, I know you like it, but I think this is the best song on the album. I think it's fantastic. Do you think he knew? After he wrote this, that he, what he had, I think the only artist we really talked about was that did that was um, was Tom Petty when he wrote Southern Accents, and he's like, I he remember he woke up his wife and said, I got to play this for you because he knew he had something there. But I just wonder if artists like right, like did Towns Van Zant when he wrote the Catfish song, did he know at that point? Well, you know, I I've thought a lot about that, and I've thought a lot about like the Who, yeah, when they did Who's name? Pablo O'Reilly, oh, uh-huh. O'Reilly, yeah, and I think did he know how well. They don't hear it the way we do, because they hear it piece by piece by piece, and it comes to them so slowly. So who knows? Maybe this took a year to write, and it's coming at him piece by piece by piece. And then when he's done, he can't hear it the way we can. But then the but there's he's definitely taking some care in this, like the that opening string arrangement. No doubt. Yeah, that string arrangement that opens it almost sounds like But that's like why you got to have somebody from the outside right. to say, okay, I know that you've... You know, it's it's like the <laughs> elephant that's tied to a stump or something yeah. when it's... Um, a baby. And a baby, and, and when it becomes an adult, yeah. it doesn't even try to pull, up, pull away from it. Yeah. I think that's what happens with these guys. With their songs, they, yeah. they've nursed them from their childhood and then somebody maybe jackson brown hears it and goes oh man well you got something here 
Here, here's what's interesting about this song. Couple two two things I find funny. One is he he said in an interview he gets tired of having to tell people this has nothing to do with the Eagles because people think oh Desperado it's in L A oh, it's gosh. the Eagles. It's like this has nothing to do with the Eagles. And it sounds a little too much like Last Resort in some places. I think that oh yeah. But. but the other the other really interesting fact is when David Geffen went and approached um, the guy who Bones Howe I think was his name the guy who had Zevon's contract and he was trying to get him because he wanted to record him for Asylum. He said I want Zevon. But I also want he. I guess he had the rights to the song as a publisher. He goes, I also want Desperado Under the Eaves. I want that song as well. So that's the song that convinced David Geffen to really go after Warren Zevon. Well, and I, I could see it. It's, I mean, so, it's, it's it's just an absolute beautiful song. That I love the way it starts off with that Aaron Copeland kind of Appalachian Spring type sound, mm-hmm. and then I wonder if there was something about Desperados bubbling in the uh, yeah. In the pop culture at that time, that maybe I don't made know. it because yeah. I don't hear the word desperado ever. No, no, you're right. And it, and we should talk briefly about who's who's singing on this song. Everybody, in a sense, <laughs> you got Carl Wilson and Billy Hinch from the Beach Boys, Jackson Brown, and then the <laughs> Jackson Brown's part of this group they call I mean, this the group, gentlemen, the gentlemen boys, the gentlemen boys. So it's yeah. Jackson Brown, Kenny Edwards, J.D. Souther. Wadi Wakel and was it Jorge Calderon? Oh, Jorge Calderon. Yeah, so they're the they're the gentlemen boys, and they're on a couple. Jorge of Calderon, yeah, he he's a long time. I think it's the first album that he worked with him on, and he's he was instrumental. In but of, I, I have to say, life. is there another song? This song, this song is perfect for the way it fades out. I don't know another song that that's. I mean, this seems almost like the quintessential fade out song the oh, way it does just, it. Well, yeah. yeah, and it starts off it's. Isn't the last line about the air conditioner? Going, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it talks about looking down, uh, what is it, Avenue? Um, oh, yeah. And that's what repeats as it fades out. So You're it's right. almost like the album's riding off into the sunset, you know, yeah, yeah. in a way. It's uh, another one of the uh, songs where LA is such an important part of the song. And it's not a flattering yeah. version of the city. No. And I like you it know? when they do that. Well, it's, yeah, it's not two dimensional, right? It's, and it's, Got to be. We think about how much different Austin is now than it was in the seventies. Can you imagine how different LA is? Don't the leaves look like crucified thieves? Jeez, what a line! <laughs> the lyrics on it. I think this is the best lyrically. I think it's the best song on the album. Conjures up so many images. The thing I like about it again, it's got that kind of bucolic sound going into it, and then you're talking about LA, and you're talking about and being in this you're, hotel, and you're, you're talking, putting yeah. that against this <laughs> this hotel with the air conditioners and yeah. I guess he's sitting outside in front of this yeah like I, I think about don't have any hut, money to yeah. go anywhere <laughs> yeah and he's this is this is brought about by his uh, problem with alcohol mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I mean what is he what's the line about sucking up all the soggy margaritas in LA yeah <laughs> <laughs> such a, another great line another great line yeah so. You think it's a good way to end the album? I, yeah, I do. I think it's like the, the best. There's no other choice. No. Yeah. It, no. He, it's yeah. remarkable. I could have seen him try to end it on a happier note with poor, poor, pitiful me. No, 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 no. No, this is the right, right way to do it. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this album. Uh, I think we need to talk a little bit about the afterwards, if you will. This album did peak at 189, but it wasn't a big commercial hit for him. But Rolling Stone liked it. Which was nice, right? The album after this, though, 
<laughs> I put him on the map. Excitable boy yeah. was was a big one. It had Werewolf of London, London, which probably everybody listening has heard that song. Right. I don't know how you avoid that song. No. Well, it it in in that album, Excitable Boy peaked at number twenty one. It also had Lawyers, Guns, and Money on it too. Yeah, and it, Excitable Boy was <laughs> Excitable. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's a, it's a fine album. That's probably would have been the album I would have picked. Um, had fact, we I might picked pick that later. Yeah. Yeah. He went through a some dark period, another dark period pretty soon after that. He did not producing albums that they he jumped from label to label. I think he even just kind of dropped out of the music business for a little while. He and Jackson Brown had a falling out, I yeah. think, after the this second album, maybe. Yeah. And he, uh, he was good at falling out. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was drinking, using drugs for a while, and he was kind of alienating himself from a lot of people. A lot of the people that were showing him really good will were kind of put off by him, and he was just, I think he got he got dropped by Asylum, went to another couple of record labels, got dropped by them, and then he sobered up, I think it was in 1987, is when he and that that album that I was talking about earlier, Sentimental Hygiene, was the album where he that was his. I'm with the members album. of uh, REM and yeah, REM was the backing band. I think Michael Stipe sang backup on a couple of songs, but he had kind of another. It was an all star cast, but it was kind of a different all star cast this time. I wonder how they hooked up. Warren Zevon and REM. Oh, that's There's a story that I can't remember exactly As what an REM was. fan. I should know that. But yeah, I don't. and but they somehow they got together for that. They did the Hindu Love Gods first album, which never. I don't think they were called the Hindu Love Gods at that point. And then they did Sentimental Hygiene, and then soon after that they did the Hindu Love Gods, and that Hindu Love Gods introduced Warren Zevon to a whole new slew of fans, the college radio fans. So he had kind of a, a resurgence, and that's when he started showing up on David Letterman. And well, he's been showing up on David Letterman before that because he was the, but he he became much more popular. Yeah, he just produced, and then he dropped out again for like five years. Made an album with David Gilmore and Tony Levin of I me. Mean, really? Yeah, kind of a prog album almost. And that I didn't know either. Yeah, and it. It was not a commercial success. If you Jerry Garcia played on one of his, yeah, Jerry Garcia was on. He that got album. connections all over the place. Yeah, he but he stayed sober through all of that. Life will kill you. Yeah, life will kill you. That where it was he was um, talking about death. Pretty soon after he recorded that album, he was diagnosed. That Mesa, how do you how do you say that? Mesothelioma. Mesothelioma. Ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, <laughs> if you have a digital antenna, turn it to one of the stations like Grit or one of those, and they will have lawyers advertising that you can sue the hell out of. It's somebody very rare though. For well, meso- it's, it's what you get from uh, asbestos. Asbestos. So the, asbestos cancer. So his brother said that he thought that he Warren got it from hanging out in their attic when as a kid. Huh. And um, mesothelioma. Mesothelioma, that's it. But it's a it's a cancer of the it's not a cancer of the lung. It's a cancer of the lining. Of yeah, the lung. line 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 lung, lung, lung lining. Yeah. So he got diagnosed with that soon after that, and then he made the album "My Ride Is Here," which was even more that dark. Was in two thousand two. Yeah, I can't remember if he knew he had it then or he was about to. He knew something. It was says wrong. it was released several months before Zevon was diagnosed with the, with the illness. Okay, he was di- He he was actually really in shape at that point. He was totally sober. He was 
working out and he was feeling the best he'd ever felt. And he was playing these a gig one time and all of a sudden he just started coughing, couldn't stop coughing, was having pains in his chest. And he famously would not go to doctors. Um, he said he hadn't been to a doctor in 20 years. And his dentist said, I think you need to go see a doctor. This doesn't sound right. So he went and saw a doctor soon after that. He was diagnosed with... Mesothemaloma. Thank you. Then he, he started working on the wind. Yeah. And which is a very, very good album. It's a good album. It's it's a fun album. Nobody has taken their death, their imminent death, less seriously than... It, yeah. If you if you see... There's a there's an episode of, of The Late Show with Letterman... Where, where he goes on it, and it's just him. And look, Zevon wasn't the most... He wasn't like a huge star, so the fact that Letterman, who was a friend of his, dedicated an entire show to him is a yeah. pretty big deal. And Letterman talks about how... There's a really good article, I think, in The Atlantic about that show, and there uh, how uncomfortable he was, because he didn't know how to not be maudlin about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Zevon comes out and immediately is like... Making a joke of Light-hearted. Yeah. And, and th- and, He's and smoking Letterman, a cigarette, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Letterman said, thank goodness, because, you know, he was... He didn't know how to handle it because he was a good friends with a guy, and here he is talking about his death. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's awkward at the beginning. Yeah. You can tell Letterman yeah. doesn't know how to He wants it. to talk about the obvious uh, issue... Yeah, but he's he's awkward and bringing it up, and and Zavon is uh, you can yeah. tell he's processed quite yeah. a bit. Well, it's, yeah. it's a so the story went when he first heard that he had it, he just he went on a binge <laughs> and then just kind of said, "Well, I'm gonna you know I'm not gonna beat it, but I can try to make myself uh, live as long as possible." And he actually did get to live long enough to see his grandchildren born, which was a big big thing. I'm about to be fifty six. He died when he was 56. Well, you talked to your dentist? <laughs> oh, that's right. That's how he found out, because he was deathly afraid of going to the doctor. He never yeah. went to the doctor. Yes. And he had a cough, and his dentist said, yeah. you need to go see somebody was, about that. Was yeah. Tony here when you just said that? Uh, yeah. Did you just say that? Yeah, he must have been that. reading his computer yeah. over oh, there. Sorry. That's all right. I didn't know that. Jeez. So this is... This is this he, goes in, out. he goes in to make this album, The Wind. I think everybody and, ought to give it a listen, because here we are again talking about the help he gets. Here's who's on this record. Bruce Springsteen, Don Henley, Jackson Brown, Timothy B. Smith, Joe Walsh, David Lindley, Billy Bob Thornton, Emily Harris, Tom Petty, Dwight Yoakam. That's not people <laughs> showing up to just do a record. That's like like Live Aid or paying something off, like that. homage yeah. to it, yeah, like it's, giving their last respects. And he, he does... I don't know if y'all have heard that version of uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door he does, yeah. which is really remarkable. And one of Bruce Springsteen's most obnoxious guitar solos of all time. <laughs> it really is. It's I, I Well, Disorder I in the House is pretty awful, too. I, I cannot stand his guitar I, solo in Disorder in the House. But. It's, it's, it's like he's... You can hear them laughing, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that they were just fooling around yeah. and put that down, well, which he makes was, me like it. If you watch the VH1 special that they were recorded for that, which he sanctioned, he said, yeah, yeah go ahead and do it. He's sitting down. Is that the uh, one na- narrated by Billy Bob Thornton? I think it is. He's just he's just sitting there. on uh, Most of the time, he's either got an acoustic guitar playing it and just barely playing it. And that guy, Jorge Calderon, who we were talking about earlier, was doing most of the arrangements and most of the, like, he plays a lot of the instruments on it as well. It's most of the time, it's just uh, Warren Zevon just singing in, in a microphone and just, he, it was obvious it was it was not good. But again, he defied odds. 
he got to see it released. You didn't think he was going to mm-hmm. live to see it released, but he did. Wow. That's a good documentary, and a, and I I really like that album. Yeah, and uh, yeah. sad thing that. Uh, I remember when 56 seemed old. Yeah. And that was a while ago. Yeah. Still seems old to me. <laughs> Whatever. It's not that I'm not that far away from it. I'm just saying it still seems old. It feels old. Feels old. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think uh I think that wraps it up for us, guys. Yeah. Uh, this is a good conversation and I guess this is the point in the evening when we give our reviews. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Doug. Well, I I have the unusual circumstance of Everything lining up. My personal review is five seven, and my critical <laughs> review is five seven. On a scale of one to five, five seven. I'm gonna start over. <laughs> my, I haven't given anything a review over five. You just did. <laughs> that was the first one. Thank you're you're welcome. I'm sentimental about dead people. Um, four seven and four seven. This is one of those records that I can't find anymore that I used to own. And the uh, the next one is also in that list of missing records. My nephew went to go visit his other uncle and found my records with my name on it at his house. <laughs> so I don't know how that happened. You should go over there and look around. Yeah. There's it's it's probably over there. I've I, I can't say I've been a deep fan of Warren Zavon, but I have always been a fan of Warren Zavon, and I think this album gets pretty close too perfect except for a couple of songs so four seven for both jam you're next uh i think i'm gonna go with doug i'm gonna go four seven both ways there is really not a song on this album that that rubs me the wrong way there's a couple of maybe some of the eagles sheen drops it a little bit for me yeah the, the song about la just doesn't really take off for me but overall the lyrics are just fantastic and i'm not really a lyrics guy but i just absolutely love his lyrics i, I love hearing him sing i love his voice i think he's a fantastic musician fantastic piano player uh, and on this album there's just you can just tell that these are guys that or in the service of him rather than in service of themselves. He's got an all-star cast with these guys. And that, that's amazing to me when some, somebody can do that. So yeah, four, seven, both for me. All right. Well, I guess that comes to me. So as I mentioned earlier, this is an album that I didn't know very well. And I came to love it over the look. We, we listened, we, we had a little bit longer of a pause between, doing episodes so i was able to listen to this a little bit longer than i do other other stuff and it was it's going to be hard for me not to listen to this album that being said again as i mentioned there the the highs and lows are weird because the vast majority of these songs i love but there are two songs on this album i don't and it's not i mean there's not even it's not even in between i just i skip them and that's uh we talked about those so i won't go into it so i'm gonna four seven seems about right for for me too. I mean, I hate to copy. I don't know why I would give it lower than that. It's, it's, this has been an absolute pleasure to listen to. And it's been fun to talk about it tonight too. This has been a, a good conversation. So I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be lazy and go with you guys too and do four seven <laughs> for both. Um, just because I can't, I don't, I don't see any reason to go lower than that. Yeah. The last time we all agreed was the who. The who. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Please visit our webpage at tappingvinyl.com. You will not believe what you will find up there. There's links to past episodes. There's all sorts of extra stuff. There's pictures. There's rare videos. 
There's rare recordings. You can find just about anything that you, uh, your heart's desire to find out about these bands that we've been talking about and albums we've been talking about on these episodes. Next week, we'll be looking at an album, The American and Me, by Steve Fobert. The American in Me, and I guess it's just Sail away, I'm out to be, and I guess it's just For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Schlegel, and me, your humble producer, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, and we're not naming names, 